Whenever anyone thinks about a great king in the Old Testament, then there's one name that comes up above any other. And that would be King David. He's known as, well, probably the greatest king that there ever was um, over Israel. And he's known as a man after God's own heart, which makes him even more special to both God and to those who would be interested in him and who would, would study his life. But before David became a king, he was just a shepherd boy. He didn't have any idea that he was going to be a king. He had no aspirations of, of saying, you know, it would be great if I was king one day. It would be great, you know, if I was there in the palace just giving orders to people and, and, and doing that sort of thing. He had no desire to be a king. But one day, a prophet came to his household and anointed him to become king. This changed his thinking. This changed the way that he looked at himself and at what God wanted to do in him and through him. The only problem is there was already a king over Israel. And this king was a king that God had set up himself. And David always referred to him as God's anointed. Because God anoints those that he puts in to positions and into the position of king. But this king had a son. And the son's name was Jonathan. Jonathan was going to be the heir of the kingdom. It was all uh, lined up. He was being groomed to be a king. He was, going, he was groomed to be uh, the next king of Israel. He had all of the qualities of a king. He had everything that you could desire to be in a king. He, he did everything right. He, he had the wisdom. He had the ability to go to war. He had everything needed for the kingship. But then David came onto the scene. And David um, came to prominence very quickly. Um, he was the one that uh, God used to defeat Goliath and, and scatter the Philistines. And uh, he was called into the palace to uh, help, well, to play uh, instruments in front of the king and to, uh, to help get rid of the evil spirit that, that came from the Lord to, to disturb Saul, because Saul had fallen into wickedness. He had fallen into sin, and he had fallen out of favor with God. But the Bible says that this king who would be king, and this king that God had anointed to be king, became great friends. The Bible said that Jonathan, even though he had every reason to hate David, um, especially when he found out that God had anointed him, David would have told him. Um, he wouldn't have held anything back from him. And the Bible said that David loved him greatly. That, sorry, that Jonathan loved David greatly. And that's not a twisted love. That's the love of a best friend, the best friend that you could ever have on this earth. And the Bible, Bible talks about their friendship, how they, they helped each other, how... They um, looked out for each other. Jonathan uh, basically uh, went before Saul and pleaded his case before Saul 
um, many occasions, even though Saul wanted to kill him, wanted to get rid of him, Jonathan always stuck by David. And um, he even hid uh, David from Saul. He, he, he almost conspired against, against his father in, in keeping him back when, when Saul just wanted to find him and kill him. And, and Jonathan eventually had to, to send David away, even though um, he knew that he was going to be the next king. And the Bible talks about this as a great friendship, as, as, as an incredible friendship of, of two men who should be mortal enemies, but were incredible friends through everything. In Proverbs 18 and verse 24, it says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And that's the title of this message tonight, A Friend That Sticks Closer Than a Brother. This proverb was penned by Solomon, who was the son of David. He would have heard his father talking fondly of Jonathan over and over and probably over and over and over again. He may have even become sick of how how David kept talking about this special bond, this friendship that he had with Jonathan. Now, Jonathan was killed at the same time that Saul was killed before David became king. So this is well before Solomon came on the scene. Solomon didn't know Jonathan. Solomon had no chance of knowing this great friend of David's. But what David said about Jonathan and about this friendship, this special friendship, would have stuck in Solomon's heart and in his spirit. It would have had an impact on how he saw friendship himself. He would have seen squabbles between himself and his many other brothers. Um, Many, many times, uh, David had many children, and there would have been the normal squabbles that go on between brothers and between siblings. He experienced a power play from one of his brothers to take over the throne that God had promised to him. That is his experience of, of what brothers are like. So his relationship with brothers, with his brothers, was both natural and flawed at the same time. He may have even been thinking about his father and Jonathan when he wrote this proverb. That there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Did Solomon have a friend like that as well? We don't know. We don't know if anyone ever got that close to Solomon, that he could tell everything to him, that he could discuss everything with him, that he always had his back. We don't know whether Solomon had that kind of a friend, but he knew that his father had that kind of of a friend. Have you ever had a friend that you could tell anything to and not be judged? A friend that looked past all of your quirks and your failings and just put up with them because they were happy to spend time with you. The bond between brothers and sisters can sometimes be incredibly great. When they discuss almost everything together, go to the same events, whether by choice or being forced to by their parents helping each other out, and just having a great friendship, even though, or even perhaps because they are siblings, because they are brother, because they are sister to each other. James Wells, in his 1884 book, The Parables of Jesus, tells the story of a little girl carrying a big baby boy. 
Seeing her struggling, someone asked if she wasn't tired. With surprise, she replied, no, he's not heavy, he's my brother. And that is what you can get with, with brothers, with sisters, and an, an incredible bond and an incredible friendship between them. But most often it seems that the relationship is quite flawed, with bickering and fights breaking out on an almost daily basis, maybe even daily basis. But when someone from outside the family threatens or tries to fight one of the brothers or sisters of that family, all of a sudden there is a change. Suddenly the threat finds themselves facing the whole set of siblings as they stand together and stick together against any outside force. That is one of the strengths of being a brother, of having brothers and sisters in the natural world. But when you have a best friend, things are different. The best friends that you have will stick with you through thick and thin, no matter what happens. They won't discard you. They won't, uh, they won't put you out into the cold. But they will always stick by you, no matter what happens to you in your life. And they're there by choice, not because they're forced Two, because they have the same mother and father as you, like your siblings do. But they're there because they want to be with you. They're happy to be your friend. A good friend will also give you good advice even when you don't want to hear it. And because of this special relationship, you will listen to them. You will take what they have as something valuable and something uh, important to consider, even though you don't want to hear it. The Bible talks about Jesus being our friend. In John 15 and 12, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we know that that is what Jesus did for us. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Notice that there is a stipulation. There is something that needs to be um, needs to be uh, satisfied before Jesus can become your friend. You have to learn to obey. You have to learn to do what he wants you to do. But as soon as that condition is satisfied, then you become his friend. Henceforth, I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus said that he chose us. It wasn't that he was forced to, to be near us because of any reason, but he chose us. He wants to be with us. He's chosen us because He wants to be our friend. Jesus is the, one, is the one friend that truly sticks closer than a brother. He's something. He's someone that you can tell anything and everything to without fear of judgment. When we had a tongue interpretation tonight, we talked about casting all of our cares on Him, casting all of our burdens on Him. He is the one 
the only one that we can truly cast everything on and tell him everything and have him give us peace, have him uh, just, just be a friend to us when no one else will be. He'll stick with you through thick and thin no matter what is happening in your life. There is a very famous poem written by a lady called Mary Stevenson that you find reprinted many, many times over, but it's very true, and I just want to read it at this point. It says, One night I dreamed a dream. As I was walking along the beach with my Lord, across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings, when you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. It's a very powerful poem, and it really tells the relationship that we have with our Jesus and our Savior. You see, Jesus is your friend by choice. You can't pay him to stick around. There's nothing that you can pay him or, or do or say that would make him just stick around you um, because you have, have caused it yourself. And while we've been adopted into his family by his blood, he's still there because he wants to be around you, not because he's being forced to. Jesus loves us. He wants to be with us. He wants to spend time with us. He's always with us, even through our worst, our lowest times in our life. And Jesus will let you know things about your life and your direction that you don't want to hear. Just like he told his disciples in the book of Luke. If I could get you to turn to Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. Luke chapter 12 and verse 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples first of all. So he talked to his disciples before he talked to the multitude. And this is what he said, Beware ye of the leaving of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. And that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, he's calling them friends at this time. Be not afraid of them that can kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. 
fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Jesus was telling the disciples that the reigning spiritual leaders of that time had got it wrong and were full of hypocrisy. As the new spiritual leaders in the making, they were being groomed to oversee the church of the New Testament once the Old Testament had been fulfilled by Jesus. And there was a very real danger that Jesus' disciples would go down that same path. They were already bickering amongst themselves about who would be the greatest. That had already happened in Luke chapter 9 and verse 46, three chapters before. And what happened again in Luke chapter 22 and verse 24. The scribes and Pharisees were full of pride, and that is where a lot of their hypocrisy came from. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, uh, might, might as well turn there as well. Matthew 6 and 1. We went to this chapter this morning. I'm kind of going to preach around what, what Brother Simon, Simon did this morning. It says, Take heed that ye do not your arms before men, and be seen, to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest arms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine arms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And then it moves on. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing, in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not... Ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. So we've seen two sets of hypocrisy there at that time. Jesus then taught his disciples how they should be praying. Um, and he went through what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And then in Matthew 6 and 16, he picks up again with another form of hypocrisy that the Pharisees were doing. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of our sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The scribes and the Pharisees were doing these things, but notice what the causes of the hypocrisy were was each time. They wanted the glory of men when they did their arms. That's pride. They wanted to be seen of men when they prayed out in the open on the streets. That's pride. They wanted to appear unto men to fast when they disfigured their faces. That's pride. All of the reasons for the hypocrisy mentioned in this passage is because of pride. And the disciples were getting too big for their boots already. Jesus hadn't even gone yet. And they were squabbling about who was going to be the greatest. They were being slowly but surely filled with pride. And Jesus already knew the results of what happens when spiritual leaders get filled with pride. Just like the scribes and the Pharisees, it leads to hypocrisy. 
That's why when Jesus addressed them to beware the leaving of the Pharisees, he called them his friends partway through. He said, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Jesus was showing them that he was a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He was the friend of the disciples. Even though he was telling them something that they wouldn't have wanted to hear, he was doing it because he was their friend. Even their own brothers, their own siblings might have thought twice about telling them that they were on the wrong track. After all, they were the disciples of Jesus himself. They had done many miracles and signs and they seemed to have great power with God. Who are they to tell them any different? But Jesus, as a friend, gave them a warning head on. He didn't pull his punches. He told them straight to beware of that leaven, of that sin of the scribes and the Pharisees, which was hypocrisy. It didn't stop them from going down that same path of pride later on in Luke 22 and 24. But somewhere that warning of Jesus stuck with them because there was a huge change by the time the day of Pentecost and the birthday of the church. God did a mighty miracle on the day of Pentecost. He filled 120 souls with the Holy Ghost. They spake in a they spoke in a different language that they had never learned before. And they spilled out of that upper room and, 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 all, of the, and all of the Jews that were, were gathered in Jerusalem um, for the Feast of the Passover, or actually for the day of Pentecost, I think it was. Um, they, they all came to Jerusalem and they were all gathered there and they heard them speak in, in all these different languages of, of all the people around them. And they were wondering what on earth was going on. And a lot thought that they were drunk um, and that, that uh, they were mad, they were crazy. But it says in Acts 2 and 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, they were all in agreement. These disciples that were squabbling amongst themselves, these disciples that were bickering amongst themselves about who would be the greatest in the kingdom, now were standing together and one spoke in authority. And they were all in agreement at the same time. He lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing is but the third hour of the day or nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved." Peter was starting to go through how to be saved to these Jews that came to this feast. Peter then went on to tell the Jews that they were the ones who had crucified Jesus and that Jesus was the Messiah promised to them thousands of years beforehand by God himself. They uh, were pricked in their heart when they heard that and they asked them, 
the, the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do? What do we need to do to make up for killing our Savior, for killing our Messiah? In Acts 2 and 36, um, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, this is Peter finishing off his message, that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What can we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. This wicked generation, that's what untoward means. And we are living in a generation that is wicked. We're living in a generation that is just getting more and more wicked each day. And God calls us today to do the same thing, to save ourselves from this wicked generation. He has given us a commandment. He has given us a way of salvation that we must follow and then we can be his friends once we do everything that he has commanded us, he has asked us to do. The disciples, uh, and then they, they gladly received his word, were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. This was the birthday of the church. This was the first day where people came into what is known as the church. The disciples were all standing together in unity as the first sermon of the newly formed church was made. And there was no hint of pride in any of their other dealings other afterwards. They were all in one accord. They were all together. They, they all did things according to what God wanted them to do. Their lives were completely changed as they listened to and they followed the way of Jesus. Sisters, I don't care if I can get you to come to the piano, please. Maybe you haven't ever truly realized that Jesus is your friend. We know that he's our savior and our redeemer. We know that he is the great God of all the universe and that he has a way of salvation. He has things that he's laid down that need to be followed if we're going to be his sons, if we're going to be his children. But when we're following him, when we're doing everything that he's asked us to do, he's not just our savior. He's not just a commander in heaven. He's not just someone who's up there telling us what to do, but he is our friend. He gave his life for us. He's our savior. He's our redeemer. And those are incredible things that you will never be able to fully understand or repay. But he's more than that to us. He's the one friend that you have that will always stick closer than a brother. No matter how good or how bad your brothers and sisters have been to you in, in the natural life over the years, Jesus is a greater friend than all of your siblings put together. For some families, that may not be much of a stretch to do. And no matter how good or bad your best friends have been to you over the years, Jesus is still a better and more wonderful friend than all of your friends put together. 
Jesus is the only one that you can truly tell anything to and have him understand your situation. Jesus is the only one that will stick with you when everyone else around you deserts you and calls it a day. Jesus wants to be with you and to help you through life, not because he's being forced to, but because he loves you and because he wants to spend time with you. And Jesus will always tell you what you need to hear, which is not always what you want to hear. But that's the mark of a true friend. If you haven't been having the relationship of a friend with Jesus, now is the time to change your relationship. If Jesus has always been an authority figure for you, who it seems is waiting for you to slip up so he can punish you, then you haven't got the right relationship. If you're following him the best you can, if you're following him every way you know how, then he is not just an authority figure. He is your friend. He is the one that you can go to and lay all of your burdens on, as the, the tongue interpretation said tonight. We can cast all of our cares, all of our burdens on him. Maybe you don't even know who Jesus really is. Maybe this is the first time you've been in a church or you have little or no knowledge about who Jesus really is. Jesus is and wants to be your friend. He wants to save you from eternal punishment by individually taking away your sins. Not just the sins of other people, but personally your sins. The things that you've done wrong, everything that you've done wrong in your life, Jesus wants to get rid of that. Jesus is a personal friend. Not a dictator that stands far away and tells you what to do. Jesus has laid out a plan and a path for you to follow to receive that salvation. And when we follow it, he can and will truly become our friend. Jesus has made a way where you can receive forgiveness of everything bad that you have ever done, just like those 3,000 people did in the book of Acts. They were the ones that killed the Savior. They were the ones that killed the Messiah that came to the earth to redeem mankind. They had blood on their hands, but they received forgiveness that day when Jesus came into their lives. And they then received the friendship that can only come with a relationship with Jesus. We just read about those 3,000 people. And when we follow what God has put down for us in Acts 2, 38 and 39, then we become his friends. Immediately, straight away, as soon as we start following what he wants us to do. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. All we need to do is say that we're sorry for all of our sins, that we don't ever want to do them again. We're going to follow Jesus from now on. And then there is a baptism that needs to be done to actually get rid of those sins, to wash them all away in Jesus' name. And then he has given us a promise that he will fill us with a gift of the Holy Ghost, something that is wonderful, something that is Jesus actually living inside of us. And that is something that, that you can't buy. That's a gift that is, is an experience that you will never forget in your entire life. In Acts 2.39 it says, just continuing on, For the promise is unto you, 
not to anybody else, not to your friends, not to just the people in this church, but it's to you, to your children, to all that are far off, as, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And if you're in this building tonight, the Lord has called you. The Lord has given you an opportunity to come to Him and to experience that friendship that no one on this earth can give. This promise is for us, for every single person here. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past or the present. I've heard people say that, you know, if they went to church, then the, the building would fall down around them because they've been so bad in their lives. That's not true. The power of Jesus is greater than anything we've done in our lives. You know, there's people who've been murdered, who have been murdered, and there's people who have murdered people and they've received forgiveness of Jesus. There's people that have committed adultery, wickedness, and all sorts of immoral activity. But Jesus, they've found forgiveness with Jesus at an altar. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've been into witchcraft. It doesn't matter what sort of a life you've led, how bad a person you've been, Jesus offers salvation to everybody. He offers salvation to everybody in the church. Jesus wants to wipe away the whole debt of sin for you, personally. Not just for other people, but for you. So if you want to experience perfect friendship, I ask you to come to the altar. Just come here, kneel, stand, and we'll pray for you. But the most important thing is that you talk to Jesus. That you talk to Him about your life. You talk to Him about how things have been. And that's not just for those who haven't been saved, but there are times when we can look at Jesus as just an authority figure. And there's times when we think, or whether we realize it or not, that He's just waiting for us to slip up so that He can punish us. But Jesus just wants us to be His friend and it might look scary coming to the altar, but that's only from where you are in your seat, from back there. Here, Jesus is a friend that wants to show himself as a friend to you.